Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. Reverse. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Slow the down. Go kill it. Kill it. Kill the motor. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Then reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're docked now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I am your host, Keith Smith. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network. I am really excited for this episode. We have a great guest. He has a wealth of experience within the NBA front offices, holding a number of different roles, which you're going to hear all about throughout the course of the show. And now what he does is his company helps to educate the next generation of NBA front office talent, whether that be scouts or other roles within the front office. And my guest today is Pete Philo of the TPG Sports Group. Pete, thanks so much for joining us for the show today. Oh, Keith, it's a pleasure. Happy to be on. Absolutely. So, Pete, we're going to jump right in. We're going to cover a wide range of topics here. But I want to start off with giving everybody a little bit about your background. So I did a little bit of digging that I could do, and I'm hoping you'll fill in the gaps for our listeners as best you can from there. But let me see if I have this right. You played collegiately at Manhattan in South Alabama. Is that correct? Correct, yes. All right, great. And then overseas for a number of years from 1996 to 2002? Yeah, I, I had a bad career. I wasn't very good, <laughs> but uh, uh, I jumped around. You know, it was wasn't great for my actual career, but it was good for my post career. I was able to, uh, you know, build a lot of necessary relationships, and I really enjoyed my time over there. I I uh, started in Denmark, uh, and then went to the Middle East, went to Lebanon, went to Poland briefly, uh, briefly in Sweden. Slovakia, then I had a little more consistency in Croatia and ended in Iceland for the last two years and uh, was fortunate enough to win two championships, uh, uh, one in Iceland and one in Denmark. So uh have a lot of great memories from those those years. That is great. And and one thing I want to, before I go to the next question, I want to touch on, Pete mentioned a word there, relationships. That is probably going to be something you're going to hear quite a bit throughout the course of the show. Full disclosure, I went to Pro Scout School last year in Las Vegas, and relationships was my key takeaway from the entire weekend, that or week rather, that we spent together. It was mentioned so often. It was really fantastic to hear Everybody across the entire program stressed that. So keep that kind of in the back of your mind as we go. But so Pete played a lot of different places overseas. Had you been overseas prior to to that, or had you only been here in the states? Only here in the states. <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty funny, Keith, because uh, 
since then I've been to 75 countries, <laughs> uh, you know, through, through a lot of the, uh, you know, international NBA scouting. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I, you know, fortunately in the role I play in the basketball world, I get to talk to a lot of players and they all say, the same kind of thing of, man, it was really eye-opening to go overseas for the first time in a lot of guys. Did you, did you find that? Was it, was it a challenge to adjust to being overseas and then not only being overseas, but in many different countries and different types of countries? Yeah, well, like anything, you know, the more time you spend, uh, abroad, the, the more you better understand and respect and appreciate uh, the cultures and the differences, but when you first go over, uh, man, it's, it's hard, cause all you know is your culture, you know, all you know is, is America, and, and, or for me, and, uh, actually my transition was pretty fortunate, I was very fortunate, I was lucky, uh, Denmark is a beautiful country, and, uh, just amazing people, and so for me, my transition may have been a little easier than most, uh, and it wasn't easy by any means, you know, I, I was actually telling a story yesterday to some some guys uh, about uh, my first week and uh, trying to figure out uh, buying groceries at the at the supermarket, you know, and and uh, and everything was in Danish, and I, I was like I couldn't find I couldn't understand anything, you know. <laughs> and then my washer and dryer was in, uh, you know, trying to figure out the how to wash my clothes, and it just nothing was in English. So you learn really quickly that. You have to be resourceful, and uh, you have to ask, ask your teammates and coaching staff and management a lot of questions, and ask for a lot of help. But uh, nonetheless, it was it was a great, great experience for me. That is fantastic. So now, what I want to do is you you said it at the beginning. So I'm, I, I obviously wasn't there, didn't see you play. So I'm going to piggyback on your words that Pete wasn't a very good player, right? As what you how you describe yourself. How would Pete the scout break down Pete the player's game? Uh, Pete the Scout, uh, I was a classic fringe guy, you know. In the NBA, you 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 evaluate players and you you have to put them into a bucket essentially before you make a decision. And those buckets are the All Star, starter, rotation, and fringe bucket. And then it's a non-player bucket if you want to have a bucket for a non-player. But um, I, I was your classic fringe guy, to be honest. Um, I was tough. I could shoot. I loved to pass. Um, but I was, in terms of NBA level, in terms of NBA evaluation, I was probably very average or below average in every category. Um, but I, I, I played for money. You know, I got a check to play for six and a half years in Europe, and uh, that was my level. You know, I, I got level, which is pretty good at one point. And as a player, you always think you're better. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you always want a certain opportunity. But I'm really thankful, uh, looking back. Um, for the opportunities I was, you know, given and, and, uh, I think I make the best of it, you know, um, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was average, man, average player. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I would have been in the non-player category at the high school level. That was where uh, where it ended for me, and I realized really quick, if I wanted to do anything in basketball, it was going to have to be another way. It wasn't going to be on the court, So, which is good, right? It's uh, I always go back to that quote from that movie Moneyball, the dream ends for everybody somewhere. Well, mine ended a little early, but that's okay because it helped me transition in other things. And, yeah. you know, I, I was that kid who spent more time – when we were doing the drills in high school, asking the coach why we were doing the drills and what we were supposed to be getting out of it than actually doing the drills. So uh, so that probably leads to why why I do what I do now. 
So that's going to take us into the next phase of your career then. Transition into scouting. How, how did that happen and why did, why did you become a scout? Was it something you had ever considered previous? You know, as a basketball player, uh, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I, I couldn't see six inches in front of my face. I, I thought I was going to play for the rest of my life. You know, and then towards the end of my career, uh, when the jobs became less and less, uh, you know, financially rewarding, let's say, and, and the countries I was playing in was a little different. Uh, I, I essentially uh, started to really think about my, my career. What am I going to do after basketball? I'm not making enough money to never work again. And I wanted to be in, in basketball in some, in some capacity. And uh, uh, my last few years playing, I would spend some of my summertime in, in Dallas, and uh, there were really good pickup games in Dallas at the time, and, and those pickup games were at American Airlines in the Mavericks practice facility. And those games were a combination of Maverick players, uh, a lot of Americans playing abroad, and um, they were really good games, competitive games. And after every game, I, I would... Uh, I wouldn't go to lunch or go play video games uh, with the guys. I always walked up the little catwalk to Donnie Nelson's uh, door and knocked on his door. He was always up there, and uh, and I asked if I could have five minutes of his time. And he's such a gracious guy and um, amazing person. Uh, and he, you know, five minutes turned into 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes. And after, you know, months of this or you know year after year uh or weeks and weeks of it rather year after year uh we've developed a friendship you know and a trusting friendship and and uh we'd go out to lunch then I'd go out to dinner and then before you know it he's asking me to help him with the global games or help him with a project or um anything from business to basketball and that's that's the unique thing we we connected on many levels, and then he's a he's an entrepreneur. You know, he he really is. He's got an entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, for for Donnie, I learned a lot of my early entrepreneurial, you know, thoughts, I guess, and practices from Donnie. And and I just learned so much early on from him. And, and uh, for those listening, I I always encourage people to be great listeners. You know. It, it, None of us have it figured out, and and you all you're always learning. I'm learning. I'm going to learn something today talking to you uh, if I'm paying attention. And and so I learned a lot from Donnie. And so that's that's how I started. I and developing that relationship with Donnie, not just a relationship, a really trusting relationship. Um, he called me one day, my last. And so you know, after after uh, a few years of this, Donnie Donnie asked uh, when I was going to hang up my shoes and. He had an opportunity for me uh, to start, you know, consulting, and and uh, he knew I, I had known quite a few people uh, in Europe, and uh, I, I basically said, well, tell me, tell me what's next. You know, I, I'd love to be involved. Uh, I knew nothing about scouting. I knew nothing about player personnel and the different roles and advanced scouting and uh, how how the how the uh, structure was in an NBA front office. And so, you know, as a, as a learner, I, I, you know, I'm always a curious, that's, that's one of the things that uh, <laughs> defines me. I think I'm very, very <laughs> curious and I ask a lot of questions. And so um, he said, well, when you're done, come on down and we'll, we'll kind of carve out something. And uh, uh, sure enough, you know, I was 
within probably two months, I was off to Europe every, every, let's say, six or seven weeks. I was going on these different scouting trips trying to, you know, figure out, uh, you know, international talent. No, and that's, and that's kind of a recurring story that I think I've heard from a lot of folks in the scouting world. It is, at some point, it's what's next, and someone was, was, Hey, have you thought about this? And it's funny because talking with a couple of guys said, I've always wondered what if I said, ah, you know, I want to try something different if it ever would have come back around. And I think it's a important lesson to, to know one is because you hit on it again there, build that relationship up, but then you got to be ready to jump when opportunities come, come your way. Is that fair? That's very fair, you know, and, and, uh, you got to be, you got to be mobile. You know, and because scouting is not, uh, it's global right now, mm-hmm. and, and, and as we all see. And, um, you know, building out a, a staff obviously is important um, uh, for getting good information. And so obviously you have your regional college scouts, you have your, your pro scout, uh, you know, your analytics people, your international scouts. But at the end of the day, um, scouting is about the ability to get good information. And so... Um, I don't think he would have asked me to go on these international trips if I didn't have the ability to get information. And I did. I have relationships over there. And, and I mean, today, I mean, my goodness, I probably have between 30 and 50 contacts in every basketball playing country in the world. Um, and, and I did that specifically, though. I knew as I started this journey into scouting, uh, I wanted to be ahead. I wanted to be able to be the person that could get information and get information really, really quickly, that added a value, a layer of, of real value to the general managers that I've worked for, you know, uh, Kevin McHale, uh, Donnie Nelson, David Kahn, Kevin Pritchard, and, and to this day, I'm, I'm friends with all of them, um, and, and I think I've done good work for them over the years. Yeah, I would I would say by the fact that a lot of those guys still come back and <laughs> work with you now in your your new ventures, which we're going to talk about a little later. I want to hit on something you mentioned about about the game being global and the the job being global, and that is the Euro Camp. I know you were heavily involved in the starting of of the Euro Camp. Can you explain to our listeners kind of how that came together, why there was a need for it at the time? Because I think people look at it today and it's I want to see a guy, I pull up a YouTube clip, and then five minutes later I've watched, you know, five minutes of video on just about any of the guys in the major databases. At the time that the Eurocamp came about, there wasn't really anything like that. So what was the the the, the uh, reason for that coming to be? Sure. You know, we had a group, uh, it was a group brainstorm between uh, four guys, uh, myself, Donnie Nelson, from the Mavs, Kiki Vandeweghe, who was with the Denver Nuggets at the time, and Maurizio Giardini, who was at the time was the general manager of Benetton Treviso. And Benetton has this campus, and uh, this campus is is really perfectly situated. You know, there's a there's a cafeteria, there's housing, there's basketball courts, there's uh, a basketball facility, uh, and and a hotel walking distance all within walking distance so it was like a little a little college campus that um was really ideal for events and you know they had run all sorts of camps over the years there and and uh, uh with the euro camp we actually started it with two camps one was a euro camp and the other was a big man camp so the first couple years 
uh, the, the, all those folks over there now probably don't even know that that's how it started <laughs> with those part Euro camp and part big man camp. And then as the popularity grew, we realized how important, uh, the Euro camp had gotten and what, what the significance was on the international landscape of basketball that we, we let the big man camp go and focused only on the Euro camp. Well, you know, we had been seeing uh, a lot of the European players, the international players, come to the Chicago pre-draft, okay? And to me, they they looked out of place. Um, it wasn't a comfortable setting for them. There was a lot of, uh, at the time, now it's a little bit more controlled, uh, but at the time it was, it was a lot of up and down, and it was great. It was 5-on-5, five and you got a chance to see the creativity and how people were at the game. But it seemed like the international players just seemed very uncomfortable. And I don't know if it was, you know, getting iced out, they weren't getting the ball, or uh, they just couldn't play the way they normally played. And, and and so, you know, we had this brainstorm about putting something together. And, and simultaneously, uh, my first uh, couple weeks on the job with Dallas, Reebok was looking for someone to – uh, do a couple of things. One, identify, uh, talent that was coming to the NBA before the other shoe companies did. And at the time it was obviously Nike, uh, Adidas and I think and one. Under Armour really wasn't in the picture yet of basketball. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and identify and endorse them. You know, endorsement contracts and, uh, and come up with something that was, uh, unique grassroots wise that, that, would be great for the brand of Reebok. Uh, and so we kind of all put our heads together and said, this, this, this will be, this could be a great event. Now there's a lot of work. The, the one issue we ran into early, Keith, was, um, players in Europe are, are professionals. They have contracts. You know, they're not in college where they're not essentially owned by a contract. Um, and and uh, so there's the governing body of FIBA. There's Olympic Committee clearance. There's the club clearance. You know the club, the pro team. Then they all have agents. So you have to go through their agent. And um, you know initially, you know Benetton had a, had a history, had a reputation for um, getting a lot of young good players over the years from Tony Kukoc. You know, and I can go on and on and on. But um, so when we first launched it. The guard was up around Europe like, what's Benetton doing? But it really wasn't a Benetton deal. It was a Reebok event. We were just doing it at the Benetton facilities because we had a good relationship with Maurizio and he was very open to this idea and uh, he had done it before and uh, had friends with, uh, he was friendly with a lot of NBA people. So long story short, uh, uh, once once we launched it, you know, we had to massage it. And, and what I mean by that is, we had to make sure um, agents understood it wasn't just a, a Benetton deal. This was a, a, a an event for NBA executives to come over and evaluate the best players internationally. And it's also an event for clubs, GMs, and coaches internationally to come and evaluate players. So not everyone's coming to the NBA. It turned out, looking back now, that with all the success we had with players being drafted, we also had a lot of success with players increasing their global reputation for other clubs around Europe. Maybe there was a player in 
Croatia that a team in Belgium or Spain or France never would have seen. Because uh, there's not a, a really a scouting system in place with these clubs. The bigger clubs have some scouts, but not all of them do. And so we've helped a lot of people, not just the people that came to the NBA, but a lot uh, that were able to, you know, increase their careers a little bit throughout Europe. No, and that and that's one of the things I think that is really important is the the I think the average person looks at it today and says again it goes back to it you can hop on YouTube see a clip of a guy go on Draft Express you'll read about him and hear about things but going back to really 10 15 years ago that that wasn't there and also you you hit on it one of the things I've come to understand is there was a lot of protectiveness of, well, this is my guy, so I can't, you know, I've got to, I've got to do what's best not only for my guy, but for my team as well. And there was, I've talked to many people who said back then there was a big, it wasn't an anti-NBA agenda, but it was almost like, well, I want him on my club team versus going there. So I'm sure that was a pretty big hurdle to overcome. Sure. But you know what was interesting is one, one story, our philosophy was let's, let's, invite the general managers of these clubs. Let's invite the agent. Let's invite uh, the coaches. Let them come and see how th- this is run. Put their arms around their own player. Protect their player. We'll show them there's, there's no harm here. In fact, in fact, if you're smart, you can start doing business here. And the general managers started doing business, and then they started realizing, well, we should be putting buyouts in these contracts because now players are are – becoming maybe a little bit more valuable once everyone sees how talented my player is. And uh, before you know it, it was it was a, a place where you had to be. Uh, you had to be not only for relationships but for business, and uh, it, it helps promote your own club too. These, these GMs started to realize, well, my club is being uh, mentioned here a few times. And I, I do want to mention uh, real quick, now, now that we're talking about it, um, you know, you mentioned Draft Express. Uh, Jonathan uh, was part of the early coverage and uh, did a, obviously does a great job now. Did a, did a really good job uh, also early on helping with the coverage. And Chad Ford from ESPN also did a really really good job uh, covering the event. Um, those two in particular, and then more and more folks started covering it. But they were definitely uh, helpful in the early years. No, and that's and that's big to to help build that build that buzz around an event is getting that media coverage and getting those players out there known to the more general public. So I'm going to put you on the spot and test your memory just briefly, but I'm sure it's not going to be a big test. Give me some of the names of the the big names who came out of those early years of the Euro Camp that average fans will. Tell, oh yeah, I know that guy. Well, uh, Danilo Gallinari, Nicholas Batum, Sergi Baca. Andrea Bargnani, Jonas Valanciunas, Rudy Gobert, Bismack Biombo, Jan Vesely, Marco Bellinelli, Evan Fournier, Patty Mills, uh, had Patrick Beverly. That, and that's an interesting story I can, I'll come back to. Marcin Gortat was one of the early uh, guys that we got. That's a, also an interesting story. Rudy Fernandez, Kevin Serafin, Omar Asik. I mean, that's, those are the, those are the big years. My yeah, friend. that's, that's a basically an all-star team at that point, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, if you can, do you, you want to tell the Patrick Beverly story? Cause I, I know that's an interesting one. So Patrick Beverly decided to, uh, 
go overseas uh, and play for his draft year. When you leave college or high school and go directly to Europe, you're automatically eligible for the draft, no matter what year it was. It's just how the rule is in place. I'm not sure if it's in place like that today. I'm pretty sure it is. But at that that moment, that year, uh, it was. And he went to Ukraine. And he just so happened that he was playing for a good friend of mine and one of our our, our board members, Bob Donawald. Uh, and, and Bob, uh, as you know, Bob and I coached in, with the Chinese national team and Bob's former NBA coach. But Bob was coaching in Ukraine that year. And uh, Patrick went there to play for Bob. And, uh, you know, I went in and I was scouting Patrick. So I knew his, his draft year was that year. And I was also scouting a couple other players that were on that team that were prospects, you know, Ukrainian players. And uh, at that, you know, that week is when we decided, well, maybe we could bring Patrick. He falls under the international draft umbrella. You know, it was for international players, but at that time, um, he fell under that umbrella. You know, he happened to be an American playing overseas, and uh, we brought him. And, uh, you know, you know how Patrick plays uh, today. He was a lot like that in the camp. He was pesky. Uh, he was tough. Um, just big energy, big motor, and, and was all over the floor. At the very least, you know, he was going to play hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, turned out that, you know, he's carved out a nice niche for himself in the NBA and, and we're real proud of him. Now that is fantastic. So, so I want to now take it forward into your, your work, um, with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And there, if, feel free to correct me if I've got this wrong, but two different titles, right? Director of Scouting, Player Personnel. Mm-hmm. For our listeners who, who don't work in an NBA front office, what are some of the, the basic differences between those two roles? <laughs> Nothing really except okay. fancy title. <laughs> you know, team by team, Keith, it's, it's different. Um, you know, uh, and some of it has to do with um, salary structure. Sometimes, if you have a director title or of a versus a regional scout title, for example, um, in Minnesota, uh, I was I was you know director of scouting, player personnel. It was just a title. Uh, you know, yes, I, I organized a lot of the um, you know the scouting uh, material and and travel and and things of that nature but um it was basically basically just a title I'm I'm on the road just like everybody else scouting as much as as much as uh I could and and trying to get as much coverage as possible you know so sometimes the you know um player personnel or director of scouting will will make sure the the database is organized or uh make sure the your regional scouts are getting the the opportunity to see other regions and, and managing that and staying on top of of that, you know, obviously getting scouts out early to see the uh, the tournaments in November uh, outside of their region is a good idea, and then having them in their region for the majority of the season, and then possibly getting them out, you know, at conference tournament time or maybe just before conference tournament time out of their region so they can kind of cross check a little bit. Yeah, and it's there is you know. 
and obviously there's enough material on this to build an entire school around it. And I don't want you to give away too many of the details because if you want to know the details, go to the school. You know, this is from someone who sat there through it. Well, well worth it. And I promise you, I'm not getting paid for this or anything like that. I only say that because I truly mean it. It was fantastic. So, so we're not going to give you everything. We're just going to give you enough nuggets here that hopefully you'll go look it up and then get your butt to Vegas to go, to go experience this for yourself. So with, with Minnesota, you were there for the Kevin Garnett years and then the post-Kevin Garnett years. So for being a very high-profile player who was traded in a very high-profile trade, how did things change from philosophy, if they did, from when you had KG to after KG was gone? Well, sure. You know, when we had KG, um, you know, we were, we were uh, a team that had to stay under the cap and uh KG was making some pretty good money at the time and um you know it gave it limited us a little bit and on what we could sign around him um and essentially we just didn't get the job done uh um however you know when when we decided to make the the move on the trade um you obviously want to get um you know assets back um that puts you in position to be competitive early and uh, grow into something later. And so uh, between Al Jefferson and a couple players and, and some picks and uh, and that, that sort of thing, we, we shifted our philosophy, uh, you know, not necessarily a development philosophy, but we had to shift a little bit in order to um, try to, put a competitive team moving forward and has sustainability. And so, um, you know, it, it was exciting though, because at that point, now you're, you're trying, you're not at ground zero, but you're, you're, you're building and, and you have more, you actually have more flexibility now to build. And, uh, um, you know, one thing that's really important through, through signing players is, is when you sign a player, that player has, that contract should be tradable. And, you know, some contracts just are not tradable. And, and, and that's, um, I, I thought for the first few deals that we did, all the, all the contracts were tradable and, uh, we were able to get off uh, of players if we needed to or contracts and, uh, continue to try to build. But it was an exciting time. It was hard. It's hard to lose. It's hard to lose that much. But we had that, we had the goal in mind to, uh, build it the right way and um, acquire as many picks and assets as we could moving forward. Uh, but as you see, uh, like last night's game, I mean, my goodness, that level um, with all that talent on the floor. And, you know, I look back at Minnesota now uh, with the team that they're building. You know, we were we were essentially part of that a little bit. You know, we drafted Ricky, um, you know, and, and Pekovic, who was the 31st pick, who's not, you know, obviously with the team anymore due to injury, but he was a starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and the way that that whole deal is, has gone with the picks that we had acquired, um, I think Minnesota's in a really good position moving forward. I really do. Yeah, they're they're absolutely one of the most exciting young teams in the NBA. They've got a good mix of guys who are, I mean, they're great already for their age. And Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins. Ricky Rubio is a really good player. Zach Levine coming off the injury, hopefully he can make it back fully. But you hit it on it. One thing there is 
they kept good cap flexibility too. So as those players grow, they've now get the ability to add to that roster and continue to supplement their young guys as they become better players, which is, is really exciting. You know, I, I don't have any stake in the game, but I really want them to turn it around. The people in Minnesota deserve to see playoff games again. It's been far too long. They sure do. Yeah. I tell you what, I, I really enjoyed my time up there too. I met so many nice people and, uh, and I, I'm, you know, I always secretly root for them a little bit because they do deserve a, a winner up there. And hey, when you got those players with, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins and Ricky and those type of players, uh, of course, Tibbs coaching and, I think I think they're going to turn the corner soon. Yeah, and you know I, I always tell people when they're when it's really winning time for them, when it's contending time, we have no idea what the Cavaliers and Warriors will be at that point. It might be Minnesota yeah. Timberwolves time. No question. Yep. So from there, you moved on to the Indiana Pacers, and you went into a <clears throat> back into your international roots. Am I correct on that? Is the international not, scouting not necessarily? No, okay. I was. <laughs> Oh, even in Minnesota, I was I was splitting time. Uh, I was doing basically fifty percent international, fifty percent college and pro. Um, we did not have an international scout in Minnesota, so that fell all on my shoulders. I was okay. doing all of. That. I was traveling a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when I got to Indiana, uh, we had an international scout full time, based in Serbia. Uh, Alexander Pajovic does a good job and. Um, that was just my title. Ryan Carr was the director of scouting, um, and I was the other director. It just, it was the director of international scouting. It's just how the titles fell yep. under that organization. So it's not, it really didn't mean a whole lot. Um, I did a lot of college, I did some pro, and I did a lot of international. But like I said, um, I didn't have to go as much. I still went a lot, but I didn't have to go as much because we had a full-time international scout. Over there, I was basically splitting my time just like I had split it my first, uh, you know, 12 years or 11 years in the NBA. So give people an idea because that's interesting. You mentioned at that level how it was kind of split and divvied up. But below, so so I think people get this sense of they go one or two ways. They think that there's one person who covers the world, and then that they're or they go completely the other way that every country on the map has somebody in that country that works for a team. How what's the real story there? And I've been fully realizing it. This can vary team by team and and how they're set up and their resources and those kind of things. But on average, how's it how's it set up? Because you mentioned a couple times about regions and those types of things. Sure, it, it absolutely is team by team. But if I had to just give a, a general, um, you know, outline, that that general outline would be, um, you know, a general manager, assistant GM, director of scouting, player personnel director, kind of just overseeing uh, the management of all of the scouts and what's going on and what coverage is, uh, you know. Yeah being completed essentially and then there's regional scouts and usually uh, a couple international scouts there are some teams that have a one scout in asia one scout in uh south america one scout in europe there are some teams that have one scout in europe and one scout in south america and they kind of cover it that way um and, and regional scouts there's usually four or five regional scouts for college only and then the pro personnel guy, sometimes there's two. I think it's best to have two, an East Coast and a West Coast guy. Um, you know, it, to me, the pro pro scouting isn't uh, scouting enough. 
in my opinion, uh, with, with how free agency is and, and trade and, uh, even draft night when you're, when you're getting ready to make a trade, there's typically players involved on rosters and, and to, to know the league, um, um, is very important in my opinion, but that's, that's kind of how the, the scouting, um, so I want to talk about that for a second. You mentioned the um, knowing the league. One of the things that's come up really just in the last week or so is the Boston Celtics have the number one pick in this year's NBA draft. Largely assume they're going to pick Markel Fultz. But people have been asking a lot of the, the media folks like myself of, well, why are they working out this guy and that guy and this guy? And one of the things that I tell people all the time is, this is the last chance for really four years. You can really talk to that guy because for the next four years minimum, he's under contract with another team and, and without getting into the shenanigans that sometimes happen, you know, cause I don't want to take it there, but that's it. You're, you're cut off from that player. He's now property of the, you know, Los Angeles Lakers. So if it goes Fultz and Ball, the Celtics can't go have a conversation with Lonzo Ball of, hey, what do you think about Boston? What is it here? Get, even just get to know. And this is one of the other takeaways I took from scout school. It's, it's about getting that information and getting to know the player and their background and those type of things beyond just can they play on the court. You really get to know how they're going to fit. Is that something that holds true? Is that why teams like the Celtics this year, why they're they're out there and they're meeting with all these other players, even though Danny Ainge probably could have put his feet up and said, I'm taking Markel Fultz, and I'll see you in a few months when I get to work on my second-round picks. I think you have it, uh, you know, most of it down, Keith. Um, that's one big piece is obviously the information piece and, and getting to know these players. Uh, like you said, you, you may not be able to speak to them for years and, and just getting an idea of who they are. I mean, we do so much background intel on every player that sometimes, you know, you don't really get the clear picture until you sit in front of them and you can talk to them, you, you know, yourself. Um, and then the other piece is what happens if, um, just for an example, uh, you know, Team X uh, offers Boston – you know, for Jay, Jay Crowder and they're willing to give up pick whatever, pick 11, well, all of a sudden they got to know those players that are in that range. Mm-hmm. You know, or if there's an offer to go up to one, which is probably not going to happen, but if they get the night, the, the, a good enough offer, they have to, they have to think about it. You know, and it's just, they're going to get an offer or two that, that they'll scratch their head. They probably won't do it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're going to have to process it, you know. And, and and that may include other picks moving back in the draft. And so you just have to be prepared for everything because draft night, man, I've been real lucky. I've been in 14 drafts, and uh, draft room is, is pretty special, you know, uh, especially when you have multiple picks or you have assets on your team that people like. You get phone calls, and then you, know, you put your scenarios on the whiteboard and you evaluate them and, and you, you prepare the best you can prepare for a for a tough decision um but you got to prepare for anything and i think that's probably what danny's doing at this time yeah i always tell people it's like walking into best buy you're not just going to say well there's the best tv i'm just going to buy it because it's the best tv hopefully you're going to look and get an idea of all right well what else is out there you know i i might, I might not you know, necessarily be in position to buy that, you know, $4,000 TV, you know, so what does the $1,000 TV look at? And, and, and that's really important. And so I want to, I want to 
you know, leave with just kind of a fun, fun tidbit, because I know you mentioned this a couple times. Um, tell our listeners, how many countries have you been to? And pick kind of maybe the most far-flung place on the map where you've gone to scout for basketball. <laughs> Uh, well, the last time uh, my friends counted, uh, we all, we got on a map and counted. It was 75. Um, uh, yeah, 75. And then, uh, been a lot of places, uh, Keith, uh, the most far flung, uh, you know, went to Kazakhstan, uh, one time and, and although I had fun, um, it was different and, uh, it was different. Um, uh, been to some deep places in, in Africa and, and in, in, uh, South America. Uh, you know, I've been all over Brazil and Argentina. Uh, but, but just felt a little unorthodox, maybe just a little different was probably Kazakhstan. Um, Again, I had fun. Nothing against Kazakhstan, but it was 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 out there a little bit for me. Yeah, and I will chime in with a brief personal story here for anybody who wants to know any any job. I don't doesn't matter if it's NBA scout or any job that draw that comes with a lot of travel. My I grew up with a father who traveled. He was only home one weekend a month, and he would get sent to places that were like a tiny village in the middle of nowhere that just had a factory in it because that's the cheapest place the the company could build. And my dad always, you know, people are like, oh, man, it's so cool. You went to here and there. My dad says, yeah, and the flight was delayed two hours. I missed the second flight. They lost my bag. They did this. So anybody who's out there thinking it's so glamorous to travel all over, you got to remember things happen when you're outside of our little United States bubble here. Oh yeah, a uh, hundred thousand stories. Uh, it, it, it's not, it's not, not, not all that uh, glamorous. Definitely not easy. Yeah, absolutely. So now I want to take it forward into what you're doing now with TPG Sports Group. So how I came into contact with TPG was through Pro Scout School. It was one of the things that I looked at being a, you know a fan of basketball and wanting to learn as much as I can and pursue potentially careers within the NBA or within the world of basketball. It spoke to me, but what was your, your impetus to start TPG and then to really start pro scout school? What was it that in your head said, I got to do this. I got to get this out there for people. Yeah. Well, TPG, uh, when, when we, I was getting ready to wrap up my time with the Euro camp, um, I've always been an event guy. I, I love events. I, I love uh, c- connecting people. I love communicating with people. Uh, I think events are the future. So many th- positive things happen at events. Uh, and uh, I saw so much success at the EuroCamp. And, and when um, uh, when I was done with that, you know, I there was a void. And, and, uh, so I started brainstorming some things. I always kind of back into an idea, quite frankly, Keith. I, I try to solve a problem first. I, I try to identify if there's a problem and then, and then build something around it to try to potentially fix it, uh, or address it. And, uh, uh, scout school, you know, I, it's funny. All the year of scouting, I, I, I often got asked two questions. Whether if I'm, I'm just in line to get a, a you know, a, a Coke or a, a, you know, a hamburger, or if I'm sitting in my seat taking notes, people would always ask me these two questions. They would say, "What, 
what are you writing? What are you skill? What are you doing? You know? And well, I'm scouting. What do you? Yeah. What are you writing though? What what are, what are you looking at exactly? And then the second question was, how did you get in? How did you get in the NBA? It's a dream job. You know, it's everyone's dream job for some reason. Careful what you wish for, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but and so, you know, I started to to do some research around the league and started to realize that 90-something percent of the people that were scouting in the league were in there because of a friendship. And uh, so so we, we tried to put this platform together to, to do two things. One, to educate um, people in the basketball industry about scouting at the highest level um, and to, to learn, really, uh, what – what really goes on within an NBA organization. And then secondly, to have people connect. Because you cannot get in the NBA without connecting with people and building necessary relationships. And and what I mean by that is, you know, whether it's just just building a, a quick trust to uh maybe land an internship or or meet somebody there that that you can start some dialogue with and then maybe go out to dinner and then stay in touch. And then, you know, you're starting to build that real relationship and, and then maybe offer your services. Maybe, Hey, would you mind taking a look at um, some reports I did? Or would you mind taking a look at this? And Hey, next time you're in, you know, uh, Charlotte, I'd love to, love to, you know, have, have a coffee with you. Or, Hey, next time I come to uh, Portland, do you mind if I swing by and say hello? Just you got to put yourself out there sometimes. The absolute worst thing that's going to happen, someone's going to say no. But you, but if they say yes and you start to build that trust, I put myself out there with Donnie Nelson when I was uh, my my early years, you know, and I and I luckily built a trusting relationship with him. Without that, I wouldn't be where I am today. There's no way. Um, and, and and of course, simultaneously with Reebok, and I was able to put my work in front of people, and then uh, then you know, 14 years later, I, I had a nice NBA career, but. Uh, um, that that's important is that, you know, I, I tell people all the time that come to scout school, don't just try to identify the talent that's on stage. Talk to the person to the left of you, to the right of you. You know, I, I ask people, you know, when I interview these uh, candidates for the GM experience, I always ask them three questions. How many MBA agents do you have in your phone? How many MBA scouts, GMs, assistant GMs do you have in your phone? How many NCAA Division One men's basketball coaches do you have in your phone or video coordinators or managers do you have in your phone? And the reason I ask that is because without those relationships, how are you going to get good information? General managers need good information. They're not, you're not going to tell them who can play or who can't. Now you can, yeah, you can, you know, help organize the scouting staff and evaluate and get guys into their correct buckets and things of that nature. But general managers want information. How quickly can you get it and how accurate can you get your information? And so um, that goes back to the people sitting next to you on your left and right at scout school. It could be an agent. It could be a, a coach. It could be a video coordinator at a, at a university. It could be a manager. And all those relationships are super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. And I can, again, I sat there and I lived this, so I can back everything Pete is saying. He's not, he's not telling you a line here listening to us talk today. This is, this is said, but more importantly than said, it's done in the room at, at Pro Scout School. And I can tell you my contact list after I left after our days together blew up. And it was with 
more so people who were in the scout school with me as attendees and as students than the folks I met. Now, I met great people and made great contacts across the NBA and folks who are doing this for a living. But I met so many other guys that now I keep in touch with, guys I've seen as they've come through. I'm fortunate to live in Orlando. A lot of people come through here for a lot of things. And I've got to see a lot of those guys as they come through. And it's it's great because it's not not only is it, you know, building a friendship, relationship, those kind of things. It's it's helping we're helping each other with things. And there's a lot of, you know, hey, what are you hearing? What are you what are you getting with this? So I that's that's one of the things I think is great. So what I want you to do now, Pete, is we're we're coming right up on it. We're we're almost there for the 2017 Pro Scout School. Give people an idea what what's going to happen. I know you get some really cool new offerings too. Yeah, you know, we we really listen to the the attendees at the, at the end of every year. We we give out a questionnaire and um, we, we want to improve every year. And of course, you have to stay on top of the movement of the actual game of basketball itself. And we we witnessed it last night. Where is the game going with with how this game is played right now. And so uh, it's important. Um, you know, our, typically our, our scout school consists of two days. Day one are, are panel discussions. Uh, and day two are breakout sessions where we get a little more intimate. We cut the room in a third and we, we rotate for an hour apiece. Uh, this year's panel discussions are Scouting 360, a comprehensive uh, view of an NBA scouting staff. And I'm going to cheat right now. I'm going to look up on my whiteboard. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. So I, I don't forget all these names. <laughs> Irving Thomas from the uh, Los Angeles Lakers, Mike Bourne from the Hornets, and Dave Severance from the Clippers. Uh, and then our player development, the experts, uh, Drew Hanlon from Pure Sweat, who, if you if you if you haven't seen Drew Hanlon, my goodness, and and he's young and he's uh, really really good. I I don't know if I've seen one better than him, uh, other than maybe. Like a Bill Bano that's in the NBA, uh, but Drew is fantastic, and uh, um, uh, Adam Felipe, who's a, the shooting guru, has a couple of books out on shooting. Uh, he, who works for the Charlotte Hornets, and um, lastly, Bob McKinnon, the Texas Legends head coach, who uh, really has dedicated his life to player development. You know, every every he doesn't do anything in the offseason but work out guys. I I called him last week and asked him to golf and he's like, no, I'm working out guys. <laughs> you know? It's uh, it's what he does. Um, and then we're having a, a a coaches panel called the Coaches Guide: Preparation, Adjustments, and Execution. And uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have a, a rock star coaches panel. Fred Hoiberg, head coach of the Chicago Bulls. Steve Silas, uh, assistant coach at Charlotte Hornets, and John Welch, assistant coach with the uh, Clippers. So, you know, they're covering all these different topics, preparation, adjustments, execution. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then we'll have an international panel. Uh, we'll have a general manager from Ulm in Germany, uh, Bob Donowal, who coaches in China and was former Chinese national team coach, coached in the NBA, coached in Europe a little bit. Uh, and day two are breakout sessions, Keith. And this is where, um, you know, it gets a little bit more intimate. I, I'm sure you remember the, the breakout sessions. Absolutely, yep. Uh, a lot of people have been asking for, you know, the salary cap and the CBA <laughs> stuff. And you're going to be speaking there next year or the year after. <laughs> I, I hope so. Yeah. And, uh, well, you're great at what you do. And you, I'm, I'm sure, uh, NBA teams are paying attention and, and you, hopefully you'll be, uh, 
hired soon. You deserve to be. You're you're that good. But uh, I appreciate those kind words. Of, Thank you. Of course, of course. And uh, so this year we have Bobby Marks, uh, who you're very well aware of, and yep. you know Yahoo in the vertical, and and Bobby's a longtime NBA executive, and um, you know probably one of the best in the business in terms of the the CBA and the salary cap, and he's going to do that room by himself, and he'll have handouts, he'll have. Uh, you know, a Q&A session, uh, he's going to educate the room on everything CBA. We call it CBA 101, understanding the new, uh, the NBA salary cap. So I, I wish I could be in there to listen to it, to be honest with you, <laughs> but I'm going to be doing my own room with Tony Ronzoni. Uh, that's a fun, we call that the fun room. That's going to, that's a talent evaluation, uh, evaluating talent. We're calling it trained eyes. And, uh, you know, between Tony and I, we've, we've been around the world 800 times. Uh, back and forth, and uh, we've both been in the league a long time, and um, we we try to give an idea of how how uh, NBA scouts look at talent, evaluate talent, and break down that talent uh, by position. And hopefully, we get a little bit more in depth with that this year. Tony and I are talkers, and we get on these tangents sometimes, but uh, we're excited about it. And then, lastly, uh, an inside look at NBA player development, and and that's going to be pure sweat. And that's uh, of course Drew Hanlon. Uh, the CEO, Rich Chislowski, and uh, Alan Stein. And the three of them are going to go through everything player development. And Pure Sweat, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure a lot of you do know, but Pure Sweat is uh, as, uh, industry leaders in player development. They're all around the country right now, and uh, they do great, great work. And so uh, that will be our third breakout room. And then uh, Alan Stein is our keynote speaker as well, and that's something that uh, uh, you don't want to miss. But... Um, yeah, we're real excited. You know, of course, we had our two experiences, uh, uh, the GM experience, which is very exclusive for, for those that want to get close with two GMs. That's sold out already. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's only for 20 people as well as the draft room experience, which we recently launched and, um, where we're going to reenact an actual draft room. Uh, and day one of the draft room experience, we'll talk about the, the preparation leading up to the draft and day two of the draft from experience, we're actually going to put on draft and, and, uh, we're going to go through some calls that, and that happen and some scenarios and how quickly you have to make decisions and how prepared you have to be for every phone call that happens. And, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I will tell, tell folks who are listening here. Everything I was able to experience was fantastic. I also want to chime in too and make sure people know. Guys like the Pure Sweat guys, those are sometimes the guys who know the players the best because they're with them every day, especially in the offseason, really working with those guys, helping them hone their games. And a lot of time, you're in there, no matter what the drills you're working on, you're working on footwork or the body or anything, what do you do? You talk. And you just, you just get to know guys. So those are some of the guys who, you know, as a member of the media, the side of the world I'm on right now, those are some of the guys I get some of my best information from because they know what's really up with these players. You know, everybody thinks you, you have to be, you know, you gotta be Woj and connect to, you know, all 30 GMs on speed dial. And that's, not everybody can be like that. So the rest of us, we figure it out. And those are some of the best guys out there because they, and they, they'll tell it to you real too. And most of those guys have been very good with me about saying, you know, yeah, this guy, you know, he can play. This guy, he can't really play, but you know what? He's a really hard worker, and we're going to get him there, and he he will be able to play, and those kind of things. So those are you know really cool. I 
I think the GM and the draft room experience, that's going to be fantastic. You know, I was fortunate enough to meet a bunch of the guys who went through the GM experience last year who all loved it, raved about it after. So, you know, I think the draft room experience is going to be even cooler. It's, you know, just a, it's an amazing event. You know, if anybody can attend, you know, whether it's not this year, we might be getting a little tight end, you know, definitely put it on your radar to, to attend, you know, down the line for, for next season. Because the other thing I've noticed, cause I followed it for a couple years before I came out as well, and it was the growth and adding new things and changing things up, which is really cool. You guys are doing a fantastic job with that event. And I want to give you a couple minutes. I know we're running short on time, but I want you to talk about your other, your initiative, and that's the sports tank. And for those who don't know, and Pete, tell me if I'm wrong, but it's really Shark Tank, but for sports ideas and ideas to improve sports and do do cool things. I was able to, I couldn't watch the whole thing all in one sitting, but I checked in and out because you guys live streamed it, which was yeah. really cool, you know, to, to see. And they, these are people who, they have great ideas for things that are necessary in the world of sports. And Pete and team are giving them an avenue to get in front of some folks that, that they might not. So talk a little bit, tell us a little bit about Sports Tank. Sure, you nailed it. Uh, it's it's a lot like Shark Tank. Uh, you know, it's that's where where the name came from, essentially. And uh, it's for the the world's best sports startups to to pitch to two panels: one panel of investors, venture capitalists, strategic venture capitalists that that play in the sports space, and the other side of the uh, stage are sports executives. And those sports executives typically have a background in either uh, investing. Or in um, in the startup world, you know, we had the founder of FanDuel on on the panel. We had Kevin Pritchard. We had Tom Shine, who started Logo Athletic and then was the senior vice president of Reebok. Um, you know, Rich Rich Shoebooks from Nike, Megan Hughes Allison from Genesco Sports Enterprises, and uh, Brian Kopp, the leader in you know uh, wearable technology from Catapult. I mean, so the, these founders from sports, uh, these sports startups. They get a chance to pitch to, to the exact audience they're looking for. Sometimes it's hard for founders to get in front of a VC, period, uh, and let alone get in front of uh, you know a sports executive. So they're there for two reasons: they're there for to pitch for funding from the investors, and they're there for pitching for partnerships from the sports executives. And um, you know, sports startups are all in different stages. You know, some are really really early, some some are a little later stage, and um, uh, we, we try to take the, the best best ones we can, the ones we feel have the, the brightest future. And um, we give them three minutes to pitch, then we do ten minutes to negotiate back and forth. And, uh, you know, we had a few deals get done this year, and there's some still negotiating. And uh, I, I can't tell you how how great that event is and how fun it is. Um, to, be on, to be involved with such innovation, uh, for me, makes me really excited. And, uh, you know, the, the virtual reality, esports and, uh, wearable technology. And, you know, years ago, sports teams, the doors were closed to, to sports, uh, to startups, you know, and, and new technology. And now you have to, you have to have your eyes open and your ears open at all times because it gives you a competitive advantage, uh, sometimes if you can bring in the right technology. And now, now it's it's really really popular and and all sports seems like all sports teams are are open to new technology and uh, so yeah for us it's uh you know we're we're on the forefront of it you know we're we're kind of cutting edge with this event and uh, it's grown tremendously in in three years and uh, you know sky's the limit for that event we're we're 
every day creatively thinking of new new things to do with it. So we're excited about it. No, that's fantastic. It's a, again, if, if if you've got a sports idea and you're looking to get it out there, head to TPG Sports Group's website, check it out, and you know there's a lot of information on there. And when the next round comes up, you know it could could be you. You could be the one out there, you know, pitching to folks if your idea is ready and, and good enough. So, Pete, I want to close with with if you can give just a couple quick minutes of words of wisdom, someone who's looking for a career in an NBA front office, whether that's a scout or just doing something in the front office type of role or really in basketball in general I guess is a good way to put this what are a couple common missteps and then a couple things that people don't know that they really need to know in terms of breaking in yeah absolutely just just getting in and then you know get, get getting in there and and in doing it really is you know what it comes down to sure well, well one uh, be ready for a, a major sacrifice. Uh, you know, you have to sacrifice a lot to be, uh, at that level and to be involved in the rigors of the travel. Um, there's a lot, you know, you have, there, there's, you'll sacrifice friends, family, uh, hobbies, um, and it's a, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge there. However, there's a lot of, uh, positive things about it. Um, you know, you, you build a new set of friends sometimes, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, um, and it's exciting and you're, you're at the highest level and, and, uh, it's fun. It's fun to build. It's fun to be part of a team. Uh, I, I, some, some mistakes or missteps possibly could be if you're not a good uh, listener. You know, I've seen, uh, people come in and try to talk over uh, a decision maker or, Try to tell the decision maker how he should do his job. Um, you know, decision makers want uh, people that are are smart and that are good listeners and, and are willing to learn. And no job is too small. And uh, that that's just really important. And because uh, you're going to learn, you don't have it all figured out. I I played you know professional basketball. I played Division One basketball. My first you know two weeks on the job of my scouting report sucked. They were horrible. <laughs> And, and Donnie told me they were bad and I thought they were great. You know, it's mistakes are don't get too high, too low, too early on a guy. Don't make a final decision in November. It's impossible. Don't see a tournament and say he can play, he can't play. It's just not how it goes. There's a long body of work, um, that, that you need to do. And, um, and there's so many different components, you know, um, there's not just the talent part, there's the medical, the background information, the analytics, the measurables, and, and it all gets put into one, and by the time you get towards the draft, now you have a, a clearer picture. So don't make the mistake of of seeing a guy one time and making a firm decision on a guy. You, you just can't. I, the best scout in the world can't do that. And uh, so just be open and, and uh, be loyal. Uh, there's a lot of sensitive information that that go that goes around in an NBA organization and um you, you gotta be a loyal loyal guy or girl. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say the the thing you mentioned that just hit a hit a uh note with me was the whole you'll make new friends. Anytime someone new walked into the room 
it was like like a party for you guys. You could tell those are my buddies, you know, and you guys got all so excited anytime someone new was there. It was so cool to see, you know, from from the other side of the room just how how neat it was, you know, and all these connections and relationships you all have built and how important it is. It it, it really again, I said at the very beginning of the show that that was the big thing that I took away was how important relationships are and how much it matters towards, you know, doing the right thing. And that's something that I don't care if you're pursuing a job in basketball or not. That's important in every every phase of life. You know, build important relationships. Be loyal to those people. Help Rich Hubrook said in the keynote, give an assist. Send the elevator back down. You know, help those people out because you're going to get a return to you tenfold. You know, and, and you can do those things. And a lot of times it's it's easy to do that. We just don't. You know, often enough. So that's something that, you know, was really important for me. So I want to close it, Pete. If you've got anything else you want to plug or share, TPG's got going on, anything else that's, that's happening that you want to talk about, you know, by all means, go ahead. Well, no, I, I appreciate your time, Keith. Uh, you know, please, for those interested, visit tpgsportsgroup.com and you can check out our events and, uh, we're very open and, and, uh, communicative people. If you want to call the office, email the info account, uh, it goes right to all of us, and, and uh, there's not one call or email that's not returned. I'm a firm believer in that, um, and uh, we're excited to see people out there. We, we do have something new on the horizon coming pretty soon. Uh, it, it's in it's around scouting. Uh, you know, it's around the virtual world. So stay tuned for that. Um, that's coming in the next you know few months, probably in uh, you know october range but uh we're excited about things at tpg and and all the the help we we able to, to give people absolutely and i can just give one more recommendation you said it on answering the questions i'm a curious guy and i'm also a little cautious especially when i'm going to spend money on doing something i had a ton of questions yeah. before i came out every single time i had a question whether it was an email or a phone call i had an answer back within one business day which is absolutely phenomenal re- response rate it's it's something that everybody should achieve too to try and do the right thing so you know again Go check it out. You know, check everything out. There's a lot of cool stuff you can get for free on the site, but it's even better if you go for certain to the event. So, Pete, thanks so much for joining us here on the NBA Front Office Show. We really appreciate it. I have been your host, Keith Smith. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network. If you've enjoyed the show, please, by all means, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review. It very much does help the show out. I do also want to say, if you've got any feedback, hit me up on Twitter, at KeithSmithNBA. Feedback about the show it's all welcome i promise i will read every bit of it and we are trying to make this the show you all want for getting to know what's going on in the nba front office this again i have been keith smith this is the nba front office show part of the almighty baller network and we'll talk to you next time and now an ad from dad save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with progressive Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. All right, let's pull up over here and drop a line. Your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, it's on the 
Doc. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.